0: Thank you for listening to this message from Resurrection Life Church in Granville, Michigan. We are in a series of messages, and we have been unpacking the Apostles' Creed. And as I look at my notes, this is message number nine. And uh, I have got ten to get this done, so we are really going to be smoking today. All right. Now, the Apostles' Creed is the oldest creed in Christendom. Literally, in the last 2,000 years, billions of Christians have made this confession. Uh, By the beginning of the second century, when you became a Christian and wanted to be water baptized, what we refer to as the Apostles' Creed was called the rule of faith, and it was the confession that you made as you were about to be water baptized. Now, it's important because Jude, the third verse, says to contend earnestly for the faith which was once and for all delivered to the saints. What Christians believed in the first century is what Christians are to believe in the 21st century. The faith, what Christians believe, was given once for all. It didn't change after 300 years or 1,000 years or 2,000 years. Uh, A few years back, in some research that I was doing, I read a book entitled A New Kind of Christianity. Now, the problem was that it it wasn't Christianity at all. Right? Somebody was trying to reinvent Christianity, and they called it a new kind of Christianity. But the truth was, it wasn't even Christianity anymore. Right? Now, this is, this is important because today we have people that are really trying to create their own kind of Christianity. We could even call it their own spirituality. We've got a do-it-yourself spirituality mentality. And people just put together whatever they want in their spiritual stew. Now, Jeannie and I live seven years in Mexico. And in Mexico, uh, they, they have a, a meal that they serve called mole. All right? And it's a sauce. It can be green. It can be red. It can be chocolate. All right? It can be sweet or it can be so hot that it burns for two days. <laughs> right? And so somebody says to you, do you like mole? Well, you're like, who's mole? Because no two moles are alike. All right, every woman has her own mole recipe, right? There's no, there's no consistency. You don't know what color it is. You don't know what flavor it is. You don't know if it's going to be hot or if it's not going to be hot. You don't have any clue when somebody says moly, because it can be anything, right? Christianity cannot be like that, right? There was one faith that was delivered once for all. Again, so people to date, they tend to have this do-it-yourself spirituality mentality, and they come up with like their own spiritual moly, right? They're putting all kinds of stuff in it. You know, they take something from philosophy, something from religion. They take something from movies, something from TV, and they put it all together in the blender and come up with this moly Christianity of theirs, right? Problem is, it's not the real deal. I had somebody a while back come up to me. All right? And they wanted me to pray for them, and they wanted me to pray that the force would be with them strong. <laughs> now, 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 I'm serious. That, 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 you know, they just had this kind of like moly Christianity that they pulled something out of Star Wars, all right? Which is, which is really a, like, a, 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 it's, it's a little bit off, but it's more Buddhism than it is anything else, all right? It's not Christianity. And we've got people that are taking some astrology and crystal balls and and reincarnation and a couple parts of the Bible and they're mixing it all together and they they think, I'm a Christian. No, you're not. You're moly. But you're not a Christian. you got your own spiritual moly there. But it is not the real deal, all right? The real deal was delivered once for all. What Christians believed in the first century is what Christians believe today. So we've been going through the Apostles' Creed, unpacking it, and we've been beginning each one of these sessions by confessing the Apostles' Creed together. So let's go ahead and do that. Let's read it together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, Born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Universal Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Now today we're going to look at three phrases from the creed. I believe in the holy universal church, the communion of saints, and the forgiveness of sins. As we've been doing this series, the number one question that people have come up with, and they say, why do we say holy universal church? Isn't it holy catholic church? Catholic means universal. That's all. All right. Catholic means universal. And many times, where English is spoken. We use the word universal because when we say Catholic, people think of the Roman Catholic Church. Now, uh, as Christianity was really beginning to sweep around the world, the Roman Empire was in power. And Christianity became the state religion of the Roman Empire. And when the Roman Empire fell, The state religion of the Roman Empire did not fall, right? And it's called the Roman Catholic Church. If you go to England, you have the Episcopal Church. It's the official church of England. You go to Russia, you have the Russian Orthodox Church, the official church of Russia, right? Um, Some of you don't know this. I I was preaching, I think it was in 1990, 1991. I was preaching in the former Soviet Union. Right. And at the close of the service, a couple of the, the people came up and they gave me what would be like a silver dollar. Right? But it was a Russian coin and it was silver and it was from the very early part of the 18th century. And it said on it in Russian, it said, not to you, excuse me, not to us, not to not to us, but to you be the glory. Quoting one of the prophets from the Old Testament. Now, when the Romanov Empire, they were the czars over Russia for 303 years, right? During that time, they considered themselves the, the Russian Orthodox Church to be the church on earth. And they literally, this is what they would say. They would say, this was a phrase that was often spoken. The world needs the Russian Christ, right? And they were talking about the Russian Orthodox Church. So when... When our founders of America started America, in the first first part of the Bill of Rights, First Amendment says, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. In other words, the United States will never have a church of the United States, a state-sponsored church, right? Or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Now, the Roman Catholic Church is literally what's left over of the state church of the Roman Empire. Now, they, of course, they spread out. They went to South America. They went to different places, right? But the word Catholic means universal, right? And everywhere in the world, no matter what church or denomination you belong to, If you're a true believer in Jesus Christ, repented of your sins, received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are part of that universal or Catholic church. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul prays and he said, I bow my knee to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Now, scripturally, we have what we refer to as the church triumphant. That's the church that's already in heaven. How many of you know there's believers in heaven? But then there's believers that are still on earth. And they are referred to as the church militant. All right? Not the church sissy. All right? We are to be the church militant. All right? We are representatives of the kingdom of God. That doesn't mean that we're violent but it does mean that we stand up for and live our faith, all right? And notice he said that the whole church, it's in two places. It's in heaven and it's on earth, all right? We we can kind of say it like this. We all have the same Lord, the same Holy Spirit, the same salvation. We're part of the same kingdom, the same faith, the same redemption. We have the same Jesus. We're cleansed by the same blood. We believe in the same Bible and the same King who is coming to redeem us. Some groups literally believe they're the only ones that are going. Right? I heard this story, it's really kind of a joke, but a guy gets to heaven and St. Peter's showing him around and he sees this big curtain and he says, well, "What's on the other side there?" Peter says, "You can't look, you can't go." He says, "Why?" Because the Baptists are there and they think they're the only ones here. <laughs> you know, you can you can put whatever denominational tag you want, all right? But anybody that thinks they're the only ones, they're wrong. They're wrong because the universal church is composed of believers everywhere. Every believer, regardless of any denominational tags, the first thing that's going to fly off you when Jesus comes back is going to be your denominational tag, right? The Bible says in Romans 12:5, "So we, being many, are one body in Christ; individual members of one another." And that body of Christ, the church, is composed of all believers, every nation. Every denomination, because your denomination doesn't save you, Jesus saves you. All right? And it says that we're it's the holy Catholic or universal church, simply meaning to be set, set apart for a specific purpose. You see, the church literally, the word church means that the, the word is ecclesia, it means the called out group. Now we're to be in the world, but not of the world. I think we 've in, in, in the first centuries of the church we, we missed it in, in in trying to be apart from the world. Many of what are today considered famous Christians went and lived in caves for twenty years at a time. One famous Christian uh, got on a well they had a post twenty foot high and a nine by nine platform on the top, and he lived on that platform for over twenty years, right? trying to be separated and be holy because he was separated, right? We're to be holy, separated unto God, but we're not to be apart from the world. We're to be in the world, but not of the world. So centuries ago, they tried to separate themselves. Unfortunately, today, very often there seems to be no separation, even in our hearts. And that's where the separation is supposed to be. It's supposed to be in your heart. We're supposed to be representatives of the kingdom of God. Not a reflection of culture, but a reflection of the kingdom. In Colossians chapter 1, it says, For he has rescued us out of the darkness and gloom of Satan's kingdom and brought us into the kingdom of his dear Son. Right? He's rescued us out of the darkness and gloom of Satan's kingdom. See, we were a part of this world. Literally what the Bible refers to as Satan's kingdom, his domain. But we were rescued. When you get saved, God translates you out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son of his love. Again, the church, it's every believer, everywhere, every denomination... When they're a true believer in Christ, they're a part of that church. Now, every one of us are a part of the universal church, but God wants us to be a part of the expression of that universal church by being in a local church. Hebrews 10.25, "...not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner or custom of some, but exhorting one another." And so much the more as you see the day approaching. The Bible says, don't forget to assemble yourselves together. Be a part of a local church body. In Ephesians 1, we see part of Jesus, excuse me, Ephesians 4, we see a part of Jesus' strategy here. It says that he, this is Jesus, gave some to be apostles, prophets, um, evangelists, pastors, teachers. It says, for the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry. Now, one of the things that has plagued the church for the last two millennium, right, has been that we have thought that God wants just a couple of professionals, like pastors, to do everything when it comes to church, when it comes to ministry. But I want you to notice that it says God gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to perfect the people of God, to do the work of the ministry. Right? My job is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. Right? My job is not to do the work of the ministry. My job is to make sure that you're equipped as a believer to do the work of the ministry. And this mentality that we're just going to have a couple super people you know, doing everything, Superman Christians doing everything, has literally crippled the church. Because God has called every believer. My job is to the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ. So God wants every believer in a local body where they're equipped to do the work of the ministry. Um, In Hebrews 13, in verse 17, it says, Obey those that rule over you. Be submissive to them, for they watch out for your souls. You know, this is just another one of the things that when you, you try to be a Christian all by yourself at home, you cannot do right? You, you can't be submissive to those that are in authority over you because you're at home. You see, we in Western culture have got this idea that Christianity is only about me in a relationship with God, and that is not true. It's about you in a relationship with God and a relationship with the body of Christ, right? The Bible says that there's one baptism, Right? What that's referring to is that when a person becomes a believer, the Holy Spirit takes you and puts you, literally immerses you, into the body of Christ. So the Bible talks about then about the communion of the saints. It says in the in the creed, the communion of the saints. It's literally the koinonia, right? It's that spiritual fellowship that we're supposed to have with other believers. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one father of all who's above all through all and in all. We're all together. We believe the same and he has made us a part of the same body. We have the same savior, the same blessed hope, the same joy. We're washed by the same blood and we're supposed to have fellowship one with another. 1 John 1, 7. If we walk in the light, As he is in the light, we will have fellowship one with another. You, You cannot be a believer the way God wants you to be a believer and be separate from the body of Christ, separate from the church. You cannot do it. You're supposed to have fellowship one with another. So if you're walking with God and you're walking in the light and I'm walking in the light, the Bible says we will have fellowship. How many of you have ever had this? You just meet another believer and you just click. I mean, it doesn't take an hour. I mean, you just meet them and like, boom! You know, you just feel joined together. You may have never known them before, all right? And, And they may be old, you may be young, they may be black, you may be white. It doesn't matter, because you have fellowship one with another. You are part of the same family, part of the same kingdom. Right? And the Bible, literally, the Bible tells us that we need to have that fellowship. Now, some of you have heard me go through this list before, but, but this is worthwhile repeating. Right? This is why you can't do Christianity by yourself. Right? It says to be devoted to one another, to give preference to one another, to be of the same mind towards one another, to accept one another without holding judgment to accept one another by showing deference, to esteem, to highly regard one another in love to build up one another, to counsel one another, to serve one another by showing deference in matters of liberty, to bear one another's burdens, to be gentle towards one another, to be kind towards one another so as to preserve the unity, to speak truth to one another, to submit to one another, to show compassion to one another, to bear with the inherent weaknesses of one another, to forgive one another, to use spirit-filled words, to teach and admonish one another, to comfort one another with the hope of Christ's return, to encourage one another, to live at peace with one another, to seek God with one another, to encourage one another to forsake unbelief and hardness of heart, to stimulate one another to spiritual growth, to encourage one another to be faithful in participation in the local church, to confess our sins to one another, to pray for one another for spiritual and physical healing, to be long-suffering and patient towards one another, to be hospitable without complaining towards one another, to serve one another, to have acts of humility towards one another, to show holy affection towards one another, to participate in the holy walk with one another, to refuse to become resentful towards one another, to give sacrificially to meet one another's needs, to fight fear together, to walk in love with one another, and to walk in truth together. I get tired reading the list, much less doing it. All right? But listen, you cannot do that at home. All right? God puts you in a body. Right? That's one of the reasons we encourage you so much. You know, don't miss the local church assembly. And get involved in a small group. Right? You see, the, the Bible says it this way: Acts 5, and daily in the temple, that was this large group worship. And in every house, they did not seek. Cease teaching and preaching, Jesus as the Christ. There was the large gathering of worship, teaching, but then there was the small groups as well, all right, so that we can do all of the things that the Bible talks about. Remember, the Bible says we're joined together, all right. We're to go together. We're built together. We're members together. We're heirs together. We're held together, and we will be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air, This is a together thing. God doesn't have any lone rangers. Proverbs 18, he who willfully separates and estranges himself from God and man seeks his own desire. And pretext to break out against all wisdom and sound judgment. When you separate yourself and you try to go it alone, you are missing what God's purpose is for you. Right? There's to be a relationship with God, but there's also to be a relationship with other Christians. All right. Now, the last part of this, the forgiveness of sins. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. This is the benefit for all believers. Luke 24, in that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. Now, the forgiveness of sins, it is all through the New Testament. Acts 13, therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. So when you become a Christian, literally what we're doing is we're putting faith that Jesus' blood paid for our sins. And there is remission of sins. It's a pardon, a a release, a cancellation of debt. Anything that you owed when you're forgiven, it's canceled, all right? To give up completely and to remit penalty. In other words, there is, you do not need to pay for that sin because Jesus already paid for it, right? And this forgiveness is unlimited. Anyone can receive it, all right? And it's un- Hitler could get saved. But I want you to remember how the, the, this began It says repentance and forgiveness of sins. Repentance and forgiveness of sins go together. To repent doesn't mean to do something. It means to have a change of mind and to take off in a different direction. It doesn't mean that penance where you pay for it, but it's a change of mind where you begin to go in a different direction. The prophet Micah said it like this in in Micah 7 verse 18. Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity, passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. Get that? God delights in mercy. You want to make God's day? Let God be merciful. Let him forgive you. Receive his forgiveness. God delights in mercy. Now, when we typically think of forgiveness of sins, we think about what I just said. But actually, and, and that's all in the Bible, and that's all true. Right? But actually, in the Creed, when it talks about forgiveness of sins, it's not talking about your receiving it, it's talking about your giving it. Did you catch that? It's not talking about your receiving forgiveness, it's talking about your giving forgiveness. Jesus on the cross, as he's being crucified, this is what he said He said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. When he arose from the dead on Easter Sunday morning, appeared to his disciples, he said, if you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. And if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Other translation, if you pronounce them unforgiven, unforgiven they remain. Now, Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, teaches us to pray. And he told us when we pray to say, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. In Mark chapter 11, again, Jesus teaching on prayer and forgiveness. Jesus said, every time you pray, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. Jesus said, every time you pray, forgive. Anybody, anything. How many of you know anything is all-inclusive? Anyone is all-inclusive. Doesn't matter who it was. Doesn't matter what they did. Jesus said, every time you pray, forgive. Right? Post-resurrection, we have Stephen being stoned to death. And he emulates Jesus as he's being stoned to death, and he prays. And he says, do not charge them with this sin. And it's interesting that Saul, who later became the Apostle Paul, was standing there participating, guarding their coats as they stoned Jesus. But Stephen said, don't hold this sin against them. And a short time later, Jesus appears to him in a vision, and he becomes the greatest of all the apostles. Forgiveness lies at the heart of the Christian gospel. The good news of the kingdom of God, the gospel of is a gospel of forgiveness. That you receive forgiveness, but also that you give forgiveness. The church is to be the forgiving community of forgiven sinners. And when you believe and you join yourself to Christ, you're forgiven, but you are also to begin to forgive others. Charles Roberts IV was 32 years old. Drove a dairy truck for a living. Lived in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. Married to a wonderful Christian woman named Ann. They had three young children. And life should have been really good. But there was something in his past that grabbed him. Nine years earlier, when their first child was born, the child only lived for 20 minutes and then died, a little girl. And Charles Roberts blamed God. He's mad at God, bitter against God, and that bitterness literally turned into rage. And in Hebrews 12, verse 15, it says, see that no one falls away from God's grace, that no bitterness spring up to cause trouble and spoil everybody's life. You cannot have unforgiveness and think it will not affect you because it will. You think you're going to hurt somebody else, but you never do. It's like drinking poison and thinking the other person's going to die. You die. It says right here, you you cause trouble and spoil everybody's life. Not just yours, those around you. But besides his anger at God, he had another issue. Years before, he had sexually molested two young relatives. Now, they were so young, they didn't even make mention of it. But he knew. And it was just a shame that was on him. So really, he had two deadly poisons he had this rage from unforgiveness and he had this shame about what he had done but he decided that he wanted to seek revenge against God and the way he could do it because he couldn't hurt God was to hurt some innocent Christian girls in his suicide note he wrote and I quote I'm filled with so much hate towards myself and towards God and this unimaginable emptiness I'm angry with God, and I need to punish some Christian girls to get even with him. So on October the 2nd of 2006, he took his guns, his shame, and his rage, and he went into a one-room Amish schoolhouse in a little hammock of nickel mines, Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. There were 25 students and one teacher as he walked into that room. He carried on his person a 9-millimeter pistol, 12-gauge shotgun, a 30-aught 6 rifle, a stun gun, two knives, and 600 rounds of ammunition. He let the teacher and the boys go, but he kept the 10 girls, ages 6 to 13. He barricaded the door. He tied up the girls. And then he said, I'm going to make you pay. God killed my daughter, but you're going to pay. And he took the gun, and he shot at every one of the 10 girls in the head. And then he turned the gun on himself, and he killed himself. While he was doing this, his wife Amy was at the local Presbyterian church at a Mother's in Touch meeting. She got word of what had happened. She literally fled to her house, just broken, sobbing, not knowing what to do. The evil acts that her husband had committed had just devastated the Amish community with the slaughter of their innocent children. But that's not the end of the story. In just a couple of hours, a group of men from the Amish church went to Amy's house and they knocked on the door. She looked out and did not know what to expect. And this is what they said to her They said, Amy, we have already forgiven your husband. And we want you to know we hold no ill will towards you. We know that you too have suffered a great loss today. You've you've lost your husband. Your children have lost their father, and there's a tremendous amount of ill will from people towards you, but we want you to know that we have no ill will towards you, that we will help you, that we will be your neighbor, we will be your friend, and we will make sure that you recover. You and your children are going to be fine. That's what Christianity should look like. When Jesus said, I give you the keys to the kingdom. Listen. Last This past Wednesday, Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church in Charleston, South Carolina, had a man come into the service who sat through part of a Wednesday night little Bible study. Then he stood up and he shot and killed nine people and wounded one other. He was motivated by racial hate, 21 years old. He later admitted publicly, I killed them all. And I killed them all because of their ethnicity. I killed them all because they were black Americans. That's what he did. This is what I think is extremely interesting. The daughter of one of the victims said, I forgive you. You took something very precious from me. I'll never talk to her ever again. Speaking about his daughter. And I'll never be able to hold her again. But I forgive you. Another family member said this I forgive you, and my family forgives you. I want you to know all of the victims' families said, We forgive you. All right? He said, We would like to take this opportunity to tell you to repent, to confess, and to give your life to the one who matters the most Jesus Christ. That is a picture of Christianity. That's a picture. Now, when you forgive, listen, (laughs) you don't take them off the hook. God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. You put them on God's hook, right? You forgive them. Now, God said, I've given government to punish the wrong. And that's what's happening right now. The government is punishing. We'll punish this man, all right? But that allows us as individuals to forgive. And God says, vengeance is mine. Right? Now, these are the things that can happen. That man could repent of his sins. And the same blood that cleansed you from your sins can cleanse him from his sins. But if not, right, there is a righteous judge and he says, vengeance is mine. Right? And whether he does it in this life or in that which is to come, there will be justice. There will be justice. When we forgive, it doesn't mean what they did was all right. It just means we are not demanding any recompense at all. We turn this over to God. And God says, vengeance is mine. And again, they can repent and they can receive the same forgiveness that you and I have received. Now, what do we do when we forgive? Well, forgiveness is an act of your will. But Jesus told us what to do. He said to pray for those who mistreat you and spitefully use you and persecute you. You see, when you, after you forgive, you begin to pray for that person. You say, How long do I keep praying for them? Well, Jesus said every time you pray, keep praying for them. All right? Don't pray they have a car wreck. Right? Pray God bless them. Pray God reveal himself to them. Pray God grant them repentance. Right? You say, how long till the feelings are gone? You say, what if they come back? Pray some more. But this is what will happen if you will listen to Jesus and do what Jesus said. God will enlarge your heart. If you keep praying for that person, God will give you compassion for somebody you thought you could never have compassion for. God will enlarge your heart. Jesus said we need to forgive every time we pray. And then we need to pray for those people. And you just keep praying. As long as those feelings are there, you just keep on praying. Now, today you might not need to forgive somebody who shot a member of your family. But you might need to forgive somebody who stole from you. Somebody who stole your virginity. Somebody who raped you. Somebody who took credit for something you did. Somebody who broke a confidence. You might need to forgive an unfaithful ex-spouse or a spouse. Somebody who lied in a custody battle. You might need to forgive the betrayal of a friend. Somebody who cheated you in business. Jesus said every time you pray, if you have anything against anyone, forgive. Christianity is about receiving forgiveness. But Christianity is equally about giving forgiveness. Jesus said if you do not forgive from your heart, neither will my Father in heaven forgive you. Your trespasses. He taught us to pray, forgive me my sins as I forgive those who sin against me. All right, would you please bow your heads? Psalms 99 in verse 8 says this, you answered them, O Lord our God, and you were to them the God who forgives. And today, God wants to be that to each and every person under the sound of my voice." Everyone that's watching this, God wants to be to you the God who forgives. You say, I thought Jesus paid for my sins. He did. But you need to receive that forgiveness. John 1 verse 12 says, to as many as receive him, to them he gives the right to be the children of God. It's not enough that he died for you. You need to receive what he did for you. You say, how do I do that? First there's two components. First, you turn your back on your old life. Stop living that selfish life to please yourself. Receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior and live for him. Receive him. Believe that his blood paid for your sin, that he was your sacrifice, and receive him as your Lord today. Turn from your old way of life and receive Jesus. Those two things. Those two things. Now, if you're here today, and you're away from God, there was a point where you lived for God. You used to worship God. When we talk about God's presence, you know what we're talking about. you felt the Spirit of God before, but you're, you're away from God today, and you need to get back. This is for you. Or if you say, I'm, I've never, never given my life to God. I've never received Jesus. I've just, I've known all these things, but I've never received him. Then this is your day. Now, here's what you need to know. I'm going to count to three in just a moment. When I say three, I want you to lift your hand. And you're not lifting it to me. You're lifting it to God. And we're going to pray. God's going to meet you right here in this place. And when we say amen, you will be forgiven. You will be right with God. He's going to make you a new person on the inside, a part of the family of God. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. All of your efforts will never get you to God. All of my efforts can never get me to God. Jesus is the only way. And when you lift your hand, you're saying today, I know I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior. I need forgiveness. And I'm coming to Jesus because he's the only Savior, the only one who can forgive me. One, when you lift your hand, you're saying, I'm turning my back on living a selfish life, and I, to the best of my ability, I'm going to live every day for God. Two, I want you to get ready to lift that hand. When you lift that hand, You're saying, God, today by faith, I'm receiving Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. He's going to come into my heart. He's going to blood wash me from my sin. He's going to forgive me. My past is going to be gone. I'm going to be right with God. He's going to make me a new person on the inside, a part of your kingdom on my way to heaven. Three, lift that hand right now. Say, pray with me. Not where he should be. I want to get right. For more information about Res Life, please visit our website at reslife.org. If you have questions about Reslife or would like directions to visit us, please feel free to call 616 534 4923.